1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvest and Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and Colin's here too. Hey everyone, it's Colin. <laughs> yes, they know. <laughs> just, just reaffirming in case people didn't catch it. <laughs> All right, well, uh, this is actually really the first time that you and I both chatted since Rendezvous, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because uh, we, we got the... The episode with John McAdams talking about reducing meat loss with shot placement, ammo placement. Yeah, and you were you were on that, but had some bad connects, so no big some deal. Tech, technical difficulties over here. Yeah, all good. Um, so, really, we, we'll give a quick update here in a minute, but uh, kind of give you the focus of the show. What we're going to go through is it, it's spring. Well, I guess it's the closure of spring. Is it summer yet? Um. I, I forget. I always forget if summer starts in May or June. Something I should probably know. Let's see. Summer starts yeah, Tuesday, May. June 21st. Oh, June. Okay. Wait. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're still in summer or still in spring. So spring brings about a great amount of things. Uh, a lot of folks around the, the nation have been into morels and uh, things are starting to grow. So forageables are good. Berries are inbound. Things like that. So we, as you know, have recently got into a bit of foraging. So I'm going to talk a little bit about sort of where we were with that, reflect on some past episodes, share some recent foraging adventures um, and some recipes from those. And then we're going to hit off some some spring-focused recipes that are coming over from our website which is pretty cool. We've got always great stuff there. Uh, but first, we'll give some updates. Um, so excluding the um, updates for like foraging stuff that we've been doing at my house, we have been eagerly engaged in exploring areas to go fishing. We've been going to a lot of the reservoirs, hitting it up, taking the kids out. Um, just doing some like real fun stuff, uh, catching a lot of like rainbow trout, 
uh, various things. It's starting to get really warm, so I'm looking forward to uh, some largemouth bass. I'm going to get out on some of the rivers. I recently did met up with the Denver chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers down on the um, Platte River down in downtown Denver, right by the REI, if you've ever been down that way. Kind of a nice area. And we did probably like two miles worth of river cleanup, uh, picking up trash, plucking stuff out of the river, all that stuff there. We were there for pretty much the entire morning last Sunday. It was a good blast. Love hanging out with everybody. Um, so super excited to do that. We did a pint night over at uh, Die Bolt Brewing here in Denver. It was great. Uh, shared some good stories and connected with a lot of fun, interesting folks there, uh, which was great. Always, always, always interesting to meet up with like-minded people, as you hear me say several times. So uh, good to share a beer and chat about some stuff. The draw came out here in Colorado recently, and so now we uh, – I just found out. So I drew my first choice for mule deer and my first choice for elk, so I'm pretty stoked about that. So I've got like a third season uh, mule deer tag west of Fort Collins area, and uh, I've got a – uh, fourth season elk tag up by Steamboat Springs. So pretty excited about both of those. It's going to be a good opportunity to go out. And my plan is I'm going to put in for the secondary draw and try to pick up an antelope tag uh, somewhere in eastern Colorado. But uh, pretty excited about that. Still waiting for the Wyoming draw, which should be out in the next couple days. Uh, got some vested interest in that. I thought that already came out. The Wyoming draw? Yeah, or did I see Colorado? That was Colorado. Okay. Yeah, no, the Wyoming tags draw, I think, is the 16th. <clears throat> okay. June, June 16th. Yeah, so coming up here in about a week. So by the time this podcast episode comes out, it's likely to have happened, which will be good. So we're collectively planning a trip to the wilds of eastern Wyoming eastern central wyoming uh in search of antelope and mule deer back at if you go look at our um our youtube video on uh, the adventures for food in wyoming we're gonna go back to the same place we shot that mule deer at and try to find some more mule deer we call it the pizza oven uh, Colin, I'll I'll show you why it's called the pizza oven. There, actually, I'll tell everybody. There's a cool there's a cool like rock formation out there in the middle of like uh, kind of these draws and stuff, and it looks like a pizza oven. It's like this big round rock formation that comes up and it goes to the point and, like it has like a chimney, but in like almost like at chest level, there's like almost a perfect cutout that looks like you could build a fire in there and like make a pizza. So yeah, like one of those uh, wood fired pizza places, artisanal pizza. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, there was AJ and I when we were there. Uh, you can see a picture floating around our social media of AJ and I sitting like eating lunch at the base of the pizza oven. It was kind of cool. Um, but uh, yeah, we were not eating pizza though, just for clarification's sake. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, it's a uh, it's it's pretty pretty good adventure going on uh as of late a lot of exploring to do and pretty excited for for the summer here in colorado so colin how about you what have you been up to yeah i got a couple things going um i got some chickens a couple weeks ago 
So it's what? Not really like a wild thing, but uh, yeah, I got four Plymouth Bard Rocks, and mm-hmm. uh, they're still pretty young. They're only two weeks old. Um, they're in a little box in my garage, but yeah, they're doing well, growing, eating, pooping everywhere. So give it uh, <laughs> yeah. a couple more weeks, and it'll be warm enough outside where I can put them in the coop that I have, and uh, within a few months, they'll start laying. So yeah, I'm pretty excited for that. Just a new kind of summer project for me. Um, yeah, I thought it was Wyoming, but I guess it's Colorado. I guess I should learn how to read. Uh, I drew two preference points for Colorado, so that's cool, uh, for deer and pronghorn each. And the Oregon draw comes out, I think it's this Friday, June 10th is the day that it comes out. So looking forward to that. I put in for some pretty low chance, low probability elk tags, um, they're like the four month long antlerless tags, which would be really awesome to get. But uh, I'm trying to do archery this year, so and that's a general tag for where I am. So looking forward to that, seeing what kind of results come out of that. Maybe I'll get real lucky and get a goat or a sheep tag too. Um, I made, if you saw our post the other day, I guess by the time this comes out, it'll be about a week, week ago. Uh, I'm soliciting for our uh, spring issue of the magazine, uh, and there was a the post that we put up was Jeff Benta's creamy pheasant farfalle, and I ended up making a version of that. It wasn't farfalle. Uh, I didn't get the little bow ties, um, but I did use the rest of the recipe, and it turned out fantastic. So I'm not going to give away the recipe. We didn't give it away on the Instagram post, but I highly encourage people to go and check it out. It's only $5 for the digital magazine. And you can get all those recipes. And let me tell you, that recipe was super easy to make and very tasty. I ate it over the course of three days, uh, and it should have definitely lasted me an entire week. I just ate it all. Uh, and then I used the leftover pheasant to make pheasant stock, which I haven't made before. So I'm looking forward to using some of that. Almost out of my venison stock. And uh, yeah, looking to see what I can do with the pheasant stock. But other than that, yeah, just looking forward to the blackberries coming in, blueberries coming in. Get some dandelions. I haven't really had many dandelions out here yet. I know other places have got them. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Awesome, awesome, awesome. No, it sounds really good. I'm glad you used that recipe. I've been looking at it. Uh, hopefully I knock down some birds this fall and, and can do the same. I have some squirrel. I might try it with some squirrel and see how it comes out. Yeah, I'm um, sure it would be fantastic. Yeah. Um. But other than that, man, yeah, I encourage everybody too. Like, you can get the single issue of the magazine for five dollars, or you can get the subscription for nine ninety nine, and that's going to give you our summer issue, which will be out in July. We're currently working on it right now. I'm I'm super excited about it. So this one, as you can guess, being summer is very fish fishing focused, but we're trying to like cover the gambit of the experience here. Like we bring in. Um, bringing our buddies from Finn and Forage. Uh, they're going to be doing an article on spearfishing, uh, which will be pretty cool. We'll be having some fish recipes for sure. Um, man, we have a whole lineup. You're doing another conservation article. Yep. Uh, I think this, this one I'm doing the, um, I'm doing the photo essay. It's going to be a lot of, a lot of my time down to the Florida Keys. Cause really summer, summer is, uh, beginning of the summer, you get like grouper and uh, hogfish and things like that open. The end of the summer, you get lobster. So like in between that is just like a lot of cool fishing. Um, so we're going to be doing that. We'll talk about some backcountry fishing. Um, 
man, what else? That it, I'm really excited for the summer issue, and, and we're going to tweak things a little bit. We realized some of our shortcomings in the first issue, be it awesome, super amazing, we're looking to improve on every one. And so I'll say this too, we're also looking for advertising clients. Uh, we've got some already lined up uh, that are our consistent clients, partners, I should say. We're partners in these same ventures. Uh, so we're looking for advertising partners uh, to come on board with us and uh, get some space in the magazine. And um, so if you or someone you know is interested in uh, doing a little bit of partnership and getting some good info in the magazine to include like clickable links on the electronic version, QR codes in the print version, like all this stuff goes straight to where you want it to which is awesome because it gives you a direct link from our magazine to whatever you want to promote. So um, thought I'd share that tidbit. It's pretty good. Uh, also, also coming up, we've got our Wild Pick Camp coming up in December. We just released it, so it's live on the website. So it is totally, um, totally available for booking. We've already had some signups. Um, uh, we did have an early bird special running, but that just ended about, uh, the first of June. So we ran it for a little while. Um, we, we, we might throw some more deals out there. We might not. We'll see, uh, for some folks that are interested, but I definitely, we've got now 10 spots left, so that's going to go quick. And December's that timeline. You can go back and listen to our podcast episode on that, which goes into a lot of detail. Um, Look for a blog post coming up on WorkSharp, uh, kind of highlighting it as well. And then um, one of our participants in the last camp, John Vile, who's also one of our field staff writers, is covering the story in our summer edition of the magazine. So you can read about it there. And I think it'll, I think you'll be set. You'll be motivated. You'll be like, you know what? I want to go to Texas. I want to shoot some pigs. I want to learn how to butcher them. I want to learn how to process. And I'm going to, Learn how to cook them too, because man, and get fed by world class chefs, wild pig the entire weekend. So it's pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, if you have any doubts, go back and listen to the recap episode from the podcast from the the uh, the May Hunt, and just listen to what the guests the guests are on that episode, and just listen to what they had mm-hmm. to say about it. Yeah, I mean, it was I had a blast, and you know. I didn't do as much as the other folks, but I had fun. Um, also, two spice blends. So coming up, I just uh, sent the order off for our newest spice blend, which is going to be our uh, wild fish blend. So just in time for summer season, we'll have that available. I will tell you, I've had a lot of seasoning for fish like throughout my life, and I would tell you that this one is literally like it's at the top of the list. It's a... Uh, I've eaten it on everything from tuna. I've had it on uh, halibut. I've had it on trout. I've put it on catfish, uh, orange ruffy, uh, snapper, grouper. I put it on shrimp. I put it on lobster. I've literally put it on every kind of seafood imaginable, dark and light. And I tell you, like it comes out phenomenal every time. It's a uh, it's it's a uh, it's an interesting combination of spices. I'm not going to give that away. Uh, cause it's secrets, but, um, it's, uh, it's totally worth it. You'll like it. Uh, so when that comes out, keep an eye out, be the first one to be like, buy it. And you know what? We're going to put together a whole kit. So right now we've got three spices out. We've got our big game blend. We've got our upland fowl blend, and then we'll have the wild fish blend out. So 
we're going to do a package deal on those two. And those are big. They're like eight ounces. So picture like the size of a beer can, basically. I'm holding it here. I don't know why Colin's seen it. Yeah, I see it. Uh, it's like the size of a beer can, but packed full of spices. It's eight ounces. And we sell them regularly for like 11, 12 bucks, which is a pretty good deal because, I mean, that shaker will last you a while. Yeah, it's going to last and, you a uh, long time. Really good. So, all right. Enough about all this. Let's talk about some cool stuff. We've been talking about this for 15 minutes. Um, so, let's talk about some foraging things. Um, oh, man. All right. So, I don't know about you, Colin, but I have always had an interest in foraging, but it's really been only in like the last year or so that I've really kind of started to grasp it and be like, ah, I'm going to do it. Um, I've grown a lot of stuff in the garden. I made a lot of stuff, um, you know, wild game stuff, fish, all that. But, like, we had the opportunity, I think over the course of, like, the last couple of years, to talk with, like, the who's who amongst the wild foraging and wild food group. And I will say, like, there's definitely some folks that we haven't talked to that are on my list, which we're going to talk to. But um, uh, we, we've we've hit up some good ones. So, so probably like the first person we had on to kind of talk about uh, some foraging stuff, we had Hank Shaw on. Hank's been on first, but if you want to go back to like the very first episode we listened or we chatted with him, go back to episode 204. That's Honest Food with Hank Shaw. Pretty straightforward thing. We talk about all kinds of wild food. We talk about fish. We talk about meat. We talk about foraging. But I think that one that one's a real good one. It like kind of laid the foundation. He was like, "Oh, you need to talk to this person. You need to talk to this person." Well, you know what? We started talking to those people, and we reached out to him. We were like, "Hey, we want to have you on the show." So that led us into talking to. Uh, I think probably the next one was probably Kevin Coswin. We reached yep. out to him, so Kevin's up in Canada. So that one's episode 318, Campfire Cookery and Wild Kitchens. And, man, we talked about um, the main concept in that one was like destination. The destination is the plate. And so as he conceptually looks at food and how they approached it through their program was like, we want to take all these elements and like – if you're, you know, catching fish out of a mountain stream, like what are you foraging next to it and what's growing here and what's doing this and we're cooking over fire with wood from harvested from the local area. So like all this locality is coming together on the plate and and really that's the destination. The end result is the plate. Um, but I thought that was really cool and that's like their stuff. If you go through their Instagram and if you check out their show and all those things like, man top-notch like plating combination of ingredients really thought through really passionate like the passion and love comes through there um i don't know colin what did you think about that episode yeah that was a really good one um he's a really interesting guy kevin i thought one of the coolest parts about that one was the the wood library where they have different woods or shrubs or whatever from all over and that they use them to cook over and to smoke or do whatever for seeing how the different flavors kind of interact with, uh, with the food that you're cooking. Um, so I thought that was probably the most interesting part is realizing what's around you for taking your wilderness cooking to the next level to really get those natural flavors in there. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... It was such a cool concept. And so then that led into like us to dig a, dig further. And then we talked with Lori McCarthy 
up in uh, New Finland. Learned how to say it. Yeah. Uh, New Finland. Um, and that went over. They have a new book, um, Food Culture Place, and they go into the you know the the food traditions and wild food of of New Finland and uh, talk about moose recipes and all kinds of cool stuff like that. But it was like I appreciated that episode. I think it motivated me more one to like think about foraging from a traveling aspect because I was like, hey, I want to come up and like check this place out and and do all this. And I think shortly after that conversation is when we ended up on the bear hunt last spring um, in Oregon out by you. And we dove into the world of trying to identify mushrooms while we were out hunting and like found those oyster mushrooms and weren't sure if they were them, not sure, like a lot of back and forth. Um, But yeah, then that started to be like, holy smokes, there's this whole new thing to look for. Like sort of when I travel, uh, to places, be it hunting or fishing or just visiting, like you can get out and do a little bit of foraging and exploring and see what's going on. And then really from there, um, once I got here in Colorado, we talked with Erica Davis. So uh, once I got here to Colorado, I chatted with Erica Davis. She has a, a food blog called uh, The Wild Food Girl, where she really goes into a lot of stuff in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, edible foods, wild foods, things like that. So, man, and we talked about so many things. We talked about wild fruit candies. We talked about pine sap gum, dandelion root coffee, dandelion jam, and what really, like, interests me, which I'm going to have to end up making because I've got some pinion nuts left over from Rendezvous, um, is the dandelion jam, which I was super excited about. And this spring... Uh, I did it. I made dandelion jam. Actually, Colin, you have some. Yeah, it's good. You, you like it? Yeah. I mean, like you said before you gave it to me as a disclaimer, there isn't, there's a little more pectin needed, but it's yeah. not as gelatinous as you'd be used to in normal jelly, but it tastes fantastic. I actually kind of no, like I'm- it without all that pectin sometimes because I think the pectin kind of over sweetens it sometimes. Sure. I think it's, um, Oh, one one thing like a marmalade or kind of like you can yeah. definitely shake you it can, up and mix it up you can pour it on something which is kind of nice because i don't have to use a knife i can just kind of pour it on my toast <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that great. was <laughs> that was that was like a full-blown experiment and so with that i'll walk i'll walk everybody kind of through the steps so um i don't treat my yard i don't put any chemicals fertilizers any of that stuff on my yard so i knew that was a thing Right. So automatically I kind of think about as I've, I've learned about foraging and stuff like that, you definitely don't want to go place where people are spraying chemicals on things. Cause that's not great. Um, I came home, I forget where I was, I came over from pig camp and my yard was covered in dandelion, like so many dandelion flowers. I couldn't believe it. And so I got my daughter and my son, my daughter nine and, um, my son who is, is two, and we grabbed, I have a big, like, four-cup plastic um, measuring cup. And we went out there, and uh, we picked and picked and picked. And basically, like, we didn't pick every flower off the top. We picked one flower from each plant. But this will tell you how many plants I had, is that we picked, like, probably, we picked two packed cups, Two to three packed cups. So are you taking flowers? 
individual petals off or are you taking just the yellow heads off? So just just the yellow heads. So like okay. picture the, the dandelion coming up with the flower on the top. Yeah. So we're taking, boom, one yellow head per plant. Okay. Right? Yeah. So we, we, we picked about two, we'll say three cups because then we condense them. So we picked about three cups of those, brought them inside. And then what you do from there is like, you know, when you look at the dandelion and it's got the yellow part and then down at the base, I don't know my plant anatomy, so... Uh, this is going to be really bad, but Neither do I. <laughs> in, layman, in layman's terms, uh, the base of the flower where it's green, where it connects to the stem, you cut that part off, cut that part off, try to pull off as much of the green as you can, because that green will make it bitter. And so then you take the, what's remaining of the flower and you put it in another bowl. And so you do that, work your way through all that whole entire amount, uh, which yielded about two cups packed. And, uh, so from there I took four cups of water, and I don't think I used two or four cups of sugar. I may have used a little less because I don't like my jam super, super sweet. I like them sweet, but not super sweet. So uh, you set your sugar aside, and you take your water, your four cups of water, and you bring it to a boil, right? You take that, pour it over the top of your petals, and you allow them to cool. I put mine in the refrigerator, and I left them there for a day, maybe a day and a half. So you're making like a tea, dandelion tea, right? Um, so from there, after that time period, you take them and uh, you strain them out, squeeze out as much of the water as you can. Now it's a tea. And then you uh, get a large pot. You put a... Uh, Four cups of your dandelion tea in there. You put uh, two tablespoons of lemon juice and one box of uh, powdered pectin. So where I went awry here was that I didn't use the box of pectin. I had some that was for light sugar that I'd use in the prickly pear jam. And uh, I kind of like tried to figure out my ratios, but I didn't get it 100%. So I probably could have used like another teaspoon of what I did. But I would recommend just get the box of powdered pectin. Just dump the whole box in there. Um, so you bring that to a boil. You're going to add the sugar. Bring it back to a boil and stir it. You're going to boil the jelly for about two minutes. Um, and then you're going to sterilize. You want to sterilize your canning jars before this or as it's boiling. Sterilize your jars, uh, the lids, all that. Make sure they're dry. Um, after that, and then you're going to put the jelly, uh, that's got the pectin, the hot jelly, so be careful, into these jars, and then, um, you're going to put the lid on it, hand tighten, do your, your water bath method, you can go and research that, we'll throw some links in there, um, you know, you can use it, water bath, pressure can, or whatever you want to do, pay attention to your altitude, because that affects everything, And then you basically pull them out, let them cool, check the seal. As long as it's not popping, should be good to go. Um, And then that's it. Like, throw it on the shelf. We've got, I think, four jars left, so we're going to enjoy some delicious dandelion jam this uh, this winter. We've already had a little bit. Um, I still have some prickly pear jam left over from last fall, so I'm working through that. And then I gave some to Colin. Um, And uh, I took some down... And gave it away down in Texas too. Yeah, pretty excited. 
So, yeah, that was my great dandelion adventure. <laughs> yeah, I did it a couple of years ago when I first moved to Oregon and uh, made some dandelion jam, and it turned out pretty good. Um, I didn't do the refrigerator method. I just boiled. So what I did is I boiled the petals and the yellow heads in the pot with the water for like mm-hmm. 10 minutes, I think. Um, and it essentially does the same thing. And then you pour it through a strainer and that's how you get like the juice out. Um, so I wonder if yours, it might have actually have like a stronger flavor because it's steeping in the cold water for longer. Um, maybe. Yeah. I have to try it out. But, um, yeah, it turned out great. I would say the sugar thing is definitely something I've learned through making jam. I've made blackberry jam here too. Um, there's so much sugar that goes into it and you can absolutely cut it down because I mean, I was pouring like four cups of sugar into the blackberry jam I made. and It was like, this is unbelievable. And even once yeah. it was done, it was like, mm, this, even this is like a little too sweet. So yeah, I'd it's say crazy. I'd say start with a lower amount of sugar first and give it a taste and then you can up it from there. Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, that's good. Um, I tend to go with the reduced sugar. Like even with the prickly pear jam, it was the same way. They're like, ah, so much sugar, so much sugar. And I'm just like, I don't want that much sugar. Like I, yeah. I want to taste, I want to taste the fruit. I'm okay with the tart. And, um, you know, like for the prickly pear jam I took, it was the prickly pear, got all the juice. Um, you have to add a lot of lemon juice to that one to bring up the pH, um, to make it more acidic, to, to keep it. That's why, if, if you didn't know this, that's why you see a lot of the recipes with uh, lemon juice as like an acid because it raises the pH level, and that raised pH level makes it not a good environment for bacterial growth. So that, and then the pressure canning, when you bring it to temperature and you boil it for that amount of time, it heats up the contents of the jar enough to kill the bacteria that's existing in it and then prevents further exposure, and then that's why you put it in a fridge after it's open like... Da, 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 da. But yeah, it's how you keep from getting botulism. Science. And, yeah, that's uh, not good. Science. No, botulism's bad. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So for the prickly pear one, so I did that with the lime juice, prickly pear juice, and then I took uh, a couple jalapenos, threw them on the smoker, smoked them for like maybe 30, 45 minutes, get a nice little smoke flavor, and then deseeded them and, um, Mince them up super, super fine and then put that in there too. So it was like a little extra flavor. Yeah, um, that was good. It was, yeah. It's like a smoky, spicy, very Southwest te- uh, yeah. Texas style, you know. Yeah, it was and good. man, I ate that with like a uh, chevril cheese. Oh, oh yeah. gosh, so good. Yeah. I haven't tried the dandelion jam with cheese yet. I probably should This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. 
Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Yeah. Um, so that really came a lot with the dandelion stuff when, when we were talking with Erica. And then after we talked with Erica, uh, we, we talked with Alan Burgo. Uh, and Alan... Uh, known as the Forger Chef, and that whole episode, episode 406, was Never Go Home Empty-Handed. And in that one, we talked about something that I've had on my mind for a long time. And, like, we moved to... So, I'll backtrack. So, last year, uh, one of my friends, you know him, John Brody, uh, works for Wildfish Cannery up in Alaska. Super, super sustainable... um, like old school canning, but they do a lot of really fun varieties of fish. They've got some like octopus and all kinds of crazy stuff that they do. Um, really, really good stuff. I just posted a, a reel on there. I made salmon cakes with some of their canned salmon. So you can go over to Instagram and check that out. It was, that was pretty phenomenal, super easy to do, but they, uh, had a spruce tip jam, back a couple years ago that was available on their website for sale. And I bought some and tried it out and was like, holy smokes, this is like, this is really delicious. And I like hoarded it from my family um, as I do the really, really delicious things sometimes. Um, But I really enjoyed it. But that got me thinking a lot about spruce tips because, you know, I lived in places where we didn't really have spruce tips. So it was interesting to like figure out what they were. Well, lo and behold, in my neighborhood, uh, discovered 70 several varieties of spruce so we've got white spruce and blue spruce here both of which in the last month actually i said the last two to three weeks two weeks we'll say uh have put off uh their their new tips and so my daughter and i set to yesterday harvesting we probably harvested three cups and we'll we'll go back out to another spot and harvest probably another three cups. Um, but we did from that conversation with Alan Burgo, I learned about spruce tip syrup. And you can go to that episode and click the show note links and get the full recipe. But I'll give you a quick rundown. Essentially, this is like a longer term method, uh, so you got to plan for a little bit of time. But you take the spruce tips. And you combine equal, roughly equal amount of spruce tips and equal amount of brown sugar. So you want unbleached sugar. Combine those together, put them in a jar, put them in the window, and let them set for a month. And occasionally you want to go through and like uh, push the the spruce tips back down into the into the sugar. But what happens is is that whatever science occurs inside this jar. 
the moisture from the spruce tips get transferred to the sugar and it creates a syrup. And so that over the course of the month, um, creates like this syrup, whatever compound. And then at the end of the 30 days, you take it and you boil it a couple times, kill off all the bacteria, do all that. Think of it like the same process of like maple syrup where they boil it and it like kind of refines it, uh, makes it shelf stable, things like that. So, uh, you do the same process at the end with this uh, strain off all the spruce tips, and then you've got this like brown syrup. And um, Alan describes it as sort of like maple syrup, but like way better, uh, much, much sweeter. So he said he's had folks bake with it and be like, oh my gosh, this stuff is so sweet. So um, I'm super excited. We started it last night at 8 o'clock, it went into the window. And uh, I actually haven't checked it, but if you go on his website and look up the the spruce tip syrup, then you can see he's got a time lapse on a YouTube video, which is pretty cool because just in like a couple of days it starts this process. Um, so it's really quite interesting. So uh, I'll keep everybody updated on it, but I'm super excited for that. And then we're gonna go back, and the next batch we're gonna collect. We're gonna make spruce tip jam, and uh, my daughter's even more excited about that because she's also been digging all the jams too. Yeah, spruce tips are a big thing out here too. Uh, there are a couple breweries have spruce tip beer, like a spruce tip ale, which are fantastic. Uh, and I've also seen some recipes for like a spruce liqueur, which basically like you're making gin, like a spruce gin. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we have, I mean, a huge amount of spruce out here. We have the giant Sitka spruces, which are one of the larger trees in North America. Um, so yeah, I definitely need to get out there myself and look for some spruce tips. And do something with you them. should yeah you should um also too i will say so um my my friend uh jamie carlson he he helps uh helps out providing content he does a lot for bha um which i last met up with him at the the field to table dinner but he he helps over at uh modern carnivore which is a great great content platform if you've ever gone and looked at it um but he introduced me to the world of wild bitters yeah and, um, i have his little actually, guidebook thing for it yeah i do too mine's poking around here somewhere oh i think it's up by the bar um Naturally. and he sent me home he yeah he sent me home with some of his uh some of his bitters so i've been using those in in cocktails but he's got like a rhubarb bitter um Oh my goodness, a black walnut bitter, which is just like phenomenal. But he's got this little book yeah. he made. So I'm a he's he's gonna be coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Pretty excited about that. There may have been a night at rendezvous where he made me a few cocktails with uh, his different bitters in them. <laughs> uh, after like you know at night around all the campsites, it was a good time. Yeah, the black so, walnut one uh, is fantastic. Let me tell you about that. So I'll good. Tell you that was it's so good. So good. Yeah. And I did too. He's got a recipe in his little book for uh, maple simple syrup, which if you've ever made simple syrup and taken like the sugar and the water and like, you know, stirred it, reduced all that, whatever. This is like 10 times easier. You literally just take maple syrup and water and put it in a mason jar and shake it with your hand. And then boom, you've got... You've got maple simple syrup. But I took the black walnuts, the maple simple syrup or the black walnut bitters, the maple simple syrup, and uh, whiskey, 
and made an old fashioned. Yeah. I usually I just pour the maple syrup straight in, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I know what you mean. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good combo. Holy smokes. That's good. So I was just looking to, um, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this spruce tip bitters. I think I'm going to do the same thing. You just inspired me. Yeah. There's like a lot. There's a lot out here. This is a good one. I've never, haven't talked with this person before, but uh, spruce tip bitters at the Wild Gentleman, well mannered wild food and drink. Ooh, ooh, what's he got? Spruce tip bitters. So 250 milliliters pine bud and spruce tip vodka. Yeah, that's probably, that's something probably specific. something similar that I saw. Uh, coriander seeds, lemon balm leaves. Uh, uh, Genesian root, wormwood, allspice berry. So, he doesn't actually use like spruce tip unless he uh infuses the spruce tip vodka beforehand, huh? Very interesting. So, uh, spruce tip bitters, mace jar. Oh, here we go. Oh, this one looks good, it's like brown too. Yeah. What do we got here? Spruce tips, one cup spruce tips, uh, mint, ooh, some hops, uh, organic limes, fennel seeds, cover with vodka. Cover direct light for two weeks, stirring at least once daily. Simmer it, let it set, strain the liquid off, mix the vodka, infusion step one, two tablespoons of honey, boom, bitters. Dude, that's super cool. That looks really yummy too. That reminds me, I need to make limoncello again for the summer. Ooh, yeah. But I don't have any wild lemons. It's just an offshoot. Don't hate me, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no hate. My mom learned to make limoncello when she was stationed over in Italy. And oh, yeah. I think that. it's great. It's a, oh, it's a great so digestif. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to have some after dinner tonight. <laughs> so, um, as you can see, like our, our, our mind with foraging is sort of taken off, which is awesome because it's a great time of the year to do it. So like in addition to the fishing stuff, I think the foraging is like on key. A lot of po- people are focusing in on mushrooms right now. I'm, uh, I'm going to get out on my first mushroom adventures. I've been watching some of the Facebook groups and some of the, the forums and stuff as far as like morels, uh, watching the, the altitude ranges here in Colorado because seasonally they'll grow a different altitude range, some burn areas, stuff like that. So keep an eye on that. I think it's, it's forthcoming. Um, but man, I've been, I've been busy running around fishing and foraging and cooking and doing all these other things here around the house. So I haven't quite made it up the mountains yet. So, um, but no, super excited. What else was it? Oh, you wanted to talk about blackberries. So, yeah. So, um, here in Oregon, blackberries are pretty prevalent. I mean, you can just just about walk in any uh, woodland trail or even along the side of the road, but be careful because they, sometimes they spray for those. Um, and there's blackberries everywhere. Come July, August, they're going to be all over the place. Uh, I've made blackberry jam myself out here. I'm trying to get into the whole, I'll probably do some bitters with that as well. Um, or just eat them straight too. They're great on some yogurt in the morning. Um, but yeah, my I kind of realized that the blackberries were out here just well not only seeing them on the bushes and be, like kind of being baffled because I didn't really grow up with a lot of wild berries, but realizing I'm like oh crap these are blackberries. Um, but also going to this is my hot tip for the episode: go to your local farmers markets, your Sunday markets or Saturday markets, 
and see not necessarily what the produce sections have because those are they're growing those but the people who are making jams people who are selling berries um, people who sometimes like honey and stuff then you're gonna get a lot of the some knowledge about the wild and local plants that are near you and that's a really good way if you're looking to get into foraging to see what's around you uh, that's how I discovered how blackberries could really be used and how prevalent they were aside from just eating them whole or putting them in a pie um, but yeah that's that's my tip for that but I, I'm really looking forward to the blackberry season I have two real big blackberry bushes uh, in my backyard or on the other side of my backyard and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to them coming in yeah I think I think we, we've got some um, around this area too another one I was going to talk about was wild asparagus like I've been seeing a lot of folks posting and talking about wild asparagus and like um, going out and traveling down some country roads and stuff where, you know, like I said, and Colin said, they're not spraying and uh, wild looking for wild asparagus along fence lines. I guess that's a place it likes to grow. Hmm, okay. Um, and like once, once you find it, uh, it generally will grow there year after year. And a good sign is to look for like an older bush or plant from last year and then look around it for for new growth so that's another hot tip i don't know if you guys have wild asparagus growing up there or not but yeah i'd have to look um i know we've got a couple other wild things here we've got like wild onions and stuff oh yeah that reminds me uh cory's gonna have uh i think it's either hickory nut or black walnuts and wild onion kind of like ramps recipe in the summer oh, edition too. Nice. Like okay. early early summer stuff there in pennsylvania so pretty excited to see that one too like there's some good things uh going on ramps all that stuff coming through um good pesto i think you made a pesto with it that's what it was oh that'd be Maybe. good yeah super exciting um was it the other day too? I saw so uh, Erica Davis. So I follow her on Facebook and like stay up on her stuff and get her email newsletter and things like that. So um, she posted about you know the I think it's prickly lettuce or spiny lettuce. So no, I'm not familiar. It, it, it looks like it looks like bull nettles, but it only has spines on the underside of the leaf. Okay. Um, but the leaves, how you can tell it's like the prickly lettuce is the leaves turn sideways. So instead of going like with the top of the leaf going upward and the bottom, the spines going down, they kind of like turn in a 90 degree. And so they, they face sideways, but she was doing something, uh, the other day where she took and picked some younger ones that had a stalk to them before it like gotten, uh, a woody stalk and cut all the leaves off because the leaves will get bitter. And then I think blanched or prepared it similar to like an, an asparagus. So, um, it was interesting to see. Hmm, okay. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, something to look at if you're, <laughs> you're cruising down, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of resources out there on the internet for it. Uh, wild prickly lettuce or prickly lettuce, check it out. Um, as always, I'll, I'll throw this caveat out there. Like, before you consume any wild food, ensure you know that it's safe um, and it truly is the wild food that you think it is. Uh, don't uh, don't just trust 
uh, definitely verify. I like to check several different resources. You know, if it's something very apparent, like, hey, this is a spruce tree, like, this is a spruce tree. But if it's something like we started getting some of the edible plants and mushrooms and stuff like that, I like to check, like, you know, there's a lot of apps out there that I'll check, but I'll also go through go to forums, post pictures, I'll look in books and talk with people that are in the notes and pictures, all that stuff and, and confirm definitely before I feed them to any of my friends or family. But for the last few minutes here, I got a couple recipes I want to share with you. These are up on the Harvest Nature website just in the past few weeks. And they're really like really, really phenomenal recipes. I mean, all our recipes are great. Um, proud of that point, but, um, we have one of our new contributors. Uh, she put this one together. Her name's Lindsay Marshall, and she lives in southeastern Utah, which is pretty awesome. Um, I I have not been to southeastern Utah. I've been to southwestern Utah and northeastern Utah, but never – yeah, either way. <laughs> um, but, but she made a smoked trout grilled cheese, which – and I think, Colin, you posted that on, on social media, and you were like – Wait a minute. Like, yeah. Let's think this through before you pass judgment. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think what was really cool about that, um, it's smoked trout and pear grilled cheese. And so she doesn't just use your run-of-the-mill craft cheese. She uses mascarpone, which is a, a really good, rich cheese, and uh, adds some dill in there. And... Um, does like a little white wine and brown sugar glaze on the smoked trout. And like, man, talk about something. Talk about a way to one up an adult, a grilled cheese. I went to a restaurant the other day and they had on the menu, like adult grilled cheese. I was like, come on. Any grilled cheese could be on the side. (laughs) (laughs) So like, what, what does that mean? Yeah. But I think this, this would fall under the definition of like an adult grilled cheese. I would still feed this to my kids. Well, I like, sure. I like that recipe because, I mean, grilled cheese is something that you can make as fancy or as simple as you want. So, like, I know a lot of the recipes that we have are, are, I would say, on the more complex side. But especially with this one, with the grilled cheese, I mean, you don't have to do, like, the red wine reduction or the white wine reduction that goes with it and everything. You don't have to use, like, dill. You don't have to smoke your trout. I mean, you can – this is one that you can definitely – pick and choose which aspects of it that you want to do. Um, and then you can still make a fantastic sandwich, you know, that's along the same mm-hmm. lines. It just doesn't have to be spot on exactly the same. So yeah, that's why I really like that recipe. Um, oh, I wanted to mention too, I caught some trout this last weekend and I've got them uh, aging in my fridge. Pretty excited about this. Nice. Smoke them up, make grilled cheese. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I'm very, like, on the fence. I may write something uh, for the summer edition of the magazine about them. I don't know. We'll or see. Or some fish dip. Smoke them up and make some fish dip. Um, I wonder if it would be as good as, like, the kingfish dip. I have, a recipe. I have a recipe, but I don't know if I want to give it away. Oh, yeah. I have one of them thinking. I wonder what I'm thinking, but we'll see. Um, let's go back to the smoke trout dip. So, man, this is a really good one. Like, it definitely takes a little bit of work. Like, you're going you're gonna to want to smoke the fish ahead of time, 
which is okay. Like catch a catch a bunch of trout, get them brined, get them ready to smoke, throw them in the smoker all day. You know, go cut your grass, like organize your garage. You know, make some other things, have some the rest of the wine that you didn't use for the the brining, and then um, and then make your grilled cheese. Like at the end of the day, you're like, yes, now it's time. Um, I think that's probably like standard method for grilled cheese. I don't know how do, how do you how do you typically do your grilled cheese, Colin? Um, mine are pretty simple. I just use like a stove top pan, um, butter the pan, and then put the toast on, uh, and just keep the bread there by itself for a little bit until the bread gets nice and warm, gets the little bit crispy on the other side. That's like the pan side, uh, and then I'll just put some cheese on top. I like to put a couple extra things, like maybe a tomato slice or two on there also. Kind of it keeps it from the whole sandwich kind of falling apart, but also gives a little bit extra flavor in there as well. Um, sometimes if I get really fancy, I'll like mix different cheeses in there, put some like goat cheese or something. So, so you, do you do both pieces of bread, like butter side down and then combine them to the letter afterwards? Uh, no. Or do you combine them together? And yeah, then put I'll them do it there? in steps. So I'll put like one piece of bread, and then I'll put the cheese and the tomatoes and let the cheese kind of melt. And then okay. I'll put the last piece of bread on top and then let it kind of yep. like almost bind together. Like the, the cheese, mm-hmm. like the, the mortar to the bricks of the bread. And, and then you flip <laughs> it over and then you like do that one side a little bit more. Uh, like the new, the fresh side. Yeah. You know, let that, the rest of the heat melt the rest of the cheese. Yeah, that's, that's the way I do it too. But then you were talking about adding the tomatoes. So then do you do you like bread, cheese, tomato, cheese, um, and then bread on I'll top? I'll usually put like a little dusting of cheese on top of the tomatoes to really seal it in there. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but not too much. It's not like a, like a double-decker or anything. Mm, okay, that's good. No, that's – yeah, I do, I do the same way. I get my. I'm. I'm gonna brag. My wife says I make the best grilled oh. cheeses. I told her it's because I made a lot. Of, I made a lot of grilled cheeses growing up. But I like. I pride myself in in the quality of my grilled cheeses. Yeah. I can even, you know, we we do a lot of gluten free bread here, which gluten free bread has its like weird consistency and like requires a bit of finesse when you're cooking with it. But I, I've gotten it down uh, for even grilled cheeses too. So pretty pretty stoked nice. about that. Um. Hmm. All right, and I got one more. So this one's kind of like we're at the end. Well, we're definitely at the end of like turkey season. I think I don't even know if there's still turkey season open anywhere. But Ara, Arizona, yep, threw together a delicious. Where's that? Oh, here it is. Jalapeno wild turkey piccata and man it looks pretty phenomenal yeah piccata is one of my favorite dishes um, whether it's like uh game birds whether it's a game animal or any other kind of animal fish yeah, I mean, yeah piccata is up there with some of my favorite food so i will say that like he does he does this a little bit different which i think it's really great one instead of using like your traditional white wine in a piccata he uses wild turkey bourbon, hmm. which I think is like, yeah, why not, right? And then he throws the jalapenos in there. Um, but your all-purpose flour, coat the cutlet, like that process is all the same. 
But then once you pull the cutlet off, uh, you use um, use the same pan and put some butter and shallots and jalapeno and white, you know, wild turkey, uh, the bourbon in there, and then make your sauce. Put a little lemon juice. Boom. So both those recipes that I just talked about are on the website. I think really, really good ones. Uh, both of them very, like, summer-friendly. Yeah. If you're going to feed the kids, I would maybe omit the jalapenos if, and, uh, if you're going to feed the kids. But uh, I think you could feed both to, to children. I would. You don't think kids like jalapenos? Um, I mean, it depends. It depends on how yeah. tough they are. I was eating jalapenos <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. Were you? I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. So, um, let's see, I think for, for recipes, like that's, you know, we always have great stuff on here. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of the others we've shared here recently, like awesome stuff. I also have, uh, you know, in the spring edition, if you're looking for another turkey recipe, which people always see people post on Facebook, Hey, I got this, like anybody got any recipes and I always share like our stuff, but, um, the Turkey Kiev, oh, yeah. which I'm pretty stoked about. That that was surprisingly not as hard as it looks. So essentially, like Turkey Kiev has its roots in like Eastern Europe, yeah, Russia, Ukraine. but the the true yeah the true origins Kiev Ukraine. Um, so with that one, it's essentially like you make a compound butter. Um, I think there's like parsley and uh, a bunch of other herbs in there, garlic, shallots, and you form it into like a long thin log and you freeze it and then once it's frozen over overnight you pull it back out and you cut it into like oh gosh i don't know four to six inches in length probably four inches would be a little better and then you take you can use various parts of the of the bird you can do some you know some slices of uh the breast things like that um pound them out super flat and then you put that compound butter on the inside, roll it, put it into plastic, like spin it, make this like round shape. And then I'm not going to give you all the secrets of the recipe because you need to go to the magazine in order to get the true stuff. But then you, uh, you, you essentially batter and fry it and uh, finish it in the oven. And then if you've got your seals right and it's sealed well, then all that butter will be contained inside and so then whenever you pull it out of the oven and you cut it, the butter just like runs all over Ooh, the place. Nice. And then not to mention it's like infused itself on the inside of the like turkey, like a hamster, yeah. like hamsters yeah. in the Coast Guard, <laughs> like, but, but a much classier yeah. version. <laughs> uh, it sounds healthy too, uh, but um, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're probably like consuming like four, four tablespoons you know of butter. <laughs> Depending on how it tastes, which it sounds like it tastes awesome. I mean, it's probably worth it. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It Maybe was just so don't good. eat it every day. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm, no, you can't. But uh, I mean, you can. But choose choose yeah. your own fate. <laughs> I guess. Um, no, that man, that one is so good. I'm excited thinking about that again. I'm gonna do it with some other stuff this year, I think. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, you got any last thoughts or, or alibis? Well, I don't. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not as well versed in the, the recipe creation as you are, but. Um, yeah, I'm definitely looking to expand my uh, my wild foraging skills this year and see what I can make out of them too. I'm definitely eyeing up the the spruce tip liqueur, the spruce tip bitters. 
dandelion jam again once my dandelions finally come out and uh, then blackberries too so you know this the staples up here i guess you would call them yeah yeah so i i think too like this just is a good testament to say like if colin and i could figure this out like anybody yeah. can figure it out because we're not like experts in in the foraging field but if you can just like Hopefully this episode jogs your memory to go back and listen to some of the other episodes to the people who really know what they're talking about yep. even further. And then you, you can do some research on your own and there's tons of stuff out there. I'd say the apps uh, are, on are sort the of, biggest help. I mean, there's iNaturalist. Um, yeah. There's like Plant Finder, I think is one. They're free apps and they will save you a, hours of pouring through field guides trying to figure out what something is. You just point your phone at it and it tells you. <laughs> so... Uh, and again, I mean, yeah. I gotta reiterate it again, but don't eat anything unless you're absolutely sure. I even I I stick to like two or three mushrooms maybe, and the rest, if it doesn't, if I'm not like 100 percent certain, I'm not gonna try it. But uh, yeah, yeah, same, same, same. So um, yeah, well, I thank everybody for listening. As always, the show notes will be online, uh, so you can scroll down in the. If you're listening on the podcast app or if you're listening via the website, you can view those there. Click those links. We'll include everything in there. Um, head over to social media. Like, Make sure you're staying up to date on what's going on in the world of Harvesting Nature. We're posting tons of really great stuff going on right now. We're going to be announcing new camps, new chances to come and learn new skills. We were just chatting through maybe some writer stuff. Uh all kinds of crazy things. Uh, we've got the summer edition of the magazine coming. So there's so much going on. We, we want to make sure that you're tuned in and uh, fully apprised of what's going on so that you can really enjoy the content that we're putting out there. And then uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.